Well, I have to say, this one's pretty unique. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast fe- features Dr. Daniel Paul, who's an orthopedic surgeon in solo private practice. He is the founder and CEO of Easy Orthopedics in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He was frustrated with the entire process of how medical care was being delivered. And you know something? He just said, I'm done with all of you. I'm going to open up a concierge practice that is cash only. I do not take insurance. I have no partners. I have no office. I have a car. I got a bag. I'll come to you. It's a fascinating story. He's been in practice now since uh, since 2019. He's actually making a living uh, and he's really providing great care to his patients and he's happy. And he he's actually away from all of the craziness of the usual establishment that we all deal with on a day-to-day basis. I found it to be fascinating. He's doing great. I think you're going to love it. Hashtag follow the fro. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by ModMed. Envisioning a world where the orthopedic software we build increases practice success and improves patient outcomes. ModMed offers an intelligent ortho-specific cloud platform of healthcare IT solutions that help surgeons and staff save time, drive efficiency, and elevate patient experiences. To learn more and see a demo of the number one EHR system, EMMA, as well as practice management, revenue cycle management, analytics, patient engagement tools, and more, visit modmed.com slash orthopod. That's modmed.com slash orthopod. Modmed. It's about time. From medical media, this is The Author Show. Hello, world. Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in orthopedics. We've been all over. I'll tell you what, it's time to go out to the West. We're going to go to the Rocky Mountains, out to Colorado Springs. And we have Dr. Daniel Paul, who's with us, is an orthopedic surgeon who is in private practice. He is the founder and CEO of Easy Orthopedics. I can tell you right now, listeners, he's got a really fascinating story. Uh, can't wait to hear it. And welcome to the show, Dan. Ha- happy to have you. Well, thanks, Scott. Thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, you know, we always like to start from the beginning. You know, where'd you grow up? Why orthopedics? You're the only doctor in the family. What do you got for us? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in uh, Connecticut, in Stanford, Connecticut, tri-state area. It's like, you know, your standard Northeastern Jew, Reformed Jew. And I uh, came from a full family of uh, engineers. Um, so my dad's an engineer, you know, grandfather's lots of people. So that's probably what I would have done had I not skied into a tree when I was 14 years old. So I skied into a tree when I was 14 years old and I broke both femurs, my left tip fib and right radius and ulna. So I broke a lot of stuff. Dude, um, watch, watch out for that tree, man. Come on. Yeah, it was pretty bad. That was like right after like Sonny Bono and JF, you know, and then one of the Kennedys too. So it was like, it was, it was the time period. It was, it was right. But anyways, I went from being severely debilitated, as you can imagine, to, you know, getting all surgery and plates and rods and nails and all fixed up. And I was like, well, this is pretty cool. Like, I think this is like, I, I went from, you know, being able to not even walk to being able to walk again. And I was like, I, I think this is what I want to do. So that was kind of the genesis of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I a, ju- a, 
a Jewish boy from Connecticut, you didn't have too many choices, right? It was going to be <laughs> yeah. doctor, it was going to be lawyer, accountant, maybe an engineer too for the yeah. family. But uh, yeah, they don't give you a lot of choice. In that no. world, that's for sure. No, no. It was probably going to be engineering. I mean, I'm the first, I'm the only doctor in my family. So that was kind of like a rogue move for me, I guess, in its own way. How long was your recovery, man? That's a lot of broken bones. Uh, months. Missed a lot of eighth grade. Uh, but, yeah. you know, if you're going to miss any grade, eighth grade's a good one to miss. So it's true. Um, you know, but I was young. I healed I healed decently well and ended up running track in high school. So oh, that's awesome. Came back around. So that was the kind of genesis of how, how many surgeries did you wind up having? Oh, uh, geez. One, a couple, a couple on my tip. One of my femurs, both femurs. Uh, the radius and ulna was pre- re- really a problem because I got a proximal synostosis that needed to be resected. So, you know, you can imagine there's a couple other surgeries from there, but it ended up doing fine. Um, so, you know. Good for you. So so you decide you're, gonna, you're not going to go too far, right? You go to NYU for college. That's like what a great spot in New York City and, and all that. How was that experience for you? It was good. I mean, it's nearby where I live, but it's also the same time a world of way. Uh, so I met my wife there and it was cool being in this. I mean, you have all the pluses and minuses of being in New York City, so you can kind of do as much or as little as you want. But I, I had a good time there and um, I, I feel like I had a good education as well. So you finally picked up and moved. You go to University of Miami for medical school. That must have been that's a decent spot to be, huh? Yeah, that was a that was a good move on my part. Um, you know, uh, anyone from the Northeast likes to make kind of the trip down to Florida at some point, and I decided to do it in my mid twenties. And it's a good time to be down in South Florida, as you can imagine, and um, real solid education there. And obviously, the whole time I only wanted to do orthopedics while I was in med school. So I think my chairman, or no, sorry, my uh, advisor is like, well, what do you do if you don't match an orth? I'm like, I don't know, something else, I guess, not be a doctor. It was, it was, and I think that's kind of typical for most people who end up in orthopedics. So um, that was my kind of journey through med school. I I had, uh, it was a good experience down in Miami uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you. 10th grade, I knew I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I just basically never looked back. I had this, these two orthopedic surgeons, Jerry Reichmeister and Larry Becker, and I knew their families really well. And I was just like, I was into sports and like, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. These guys seem to be really doing well. They love their jobs. Their families are great. I mean, like, that's what I want to do. And then it's so fun. I'll tell you a funny story about, you know, Miami. So one of my twins, Caleb was, was looking for colleges last year. He's now a freshman in Wisconsin. We went down to university of Miami and we're walking around the school and, you know, it's beautiful. It's sunny. And like, you know, he looks at me, he's like, dad, he's like, I don't think I could go to school here. It's like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I could study. This place looks like a resort, you know? So uh, sure enough, he went to cold Wisconsin instead. Yeah, there you go. Put the studying in priority. Exactly. So talk to me about residency. I couldn't find that in your background. Where'd you, oh, where'd, yeah. where'd so you train? Oh, yeah. So I went to I went to University of Toledo in Toledo, Ohio. So made a trip up to the Midwest. And uh, I really liked it up there. I had, uh, I thought the training was good. Um, I had a good time. You know, obviously it's residency, so you're super busy. Um, but Toledo was a nice place to go for residency. Uh, no traffic, cost of living was low, people were nice. And um, it, that was a pretty good experience for me there. So, you know, kind of did my time there. And, and then that's kind of where things start to go off the rail. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. What, what does that mean? Tell us what that means exactly. Gotcha. So look, I never thought I would have my own. And, and for those who don't know, I, I'm my own private practice, but it, it's kind of unique in the sense that I don't take any insurances and I've opted out of Medicare. And uh, I also don't have an office, so I'm mobile. So I see patients in their home or in other people's offices. 
Um, and uh, I don't work with any hospitals. There's a surgery center I'm credentialed at one or two places. And it, it's totally kind of not in the system at all. Like it's very much off the grid. And there's a lot of reasons why I did that. But I'll tell you that when I was finishing residency, I, I didn't, that was not something that I ever thought I would be doing. I thought I would go uh, finish fellowship and then just go out into the working world and get a job and kind of just like, that's what I would be doing. And that's just not what happened. So the, this is the kind of where things went off the rails. So I started a fellowship in hand surgery and I say started it because I didn't finish it. So I started this hand surgery fellowship and I'm doing it. And then a, a couple of things happened, which, you know, I'm so stubborn, you know, we're all so stubborn in this field that it takes a lot of momentum to kind of change things or get you off the track. And the first thing that happened was I was looking for a job out in Colorado because that's where my wife's from. She's from Colorado Springs. And I'd be dragging her, you know, down to Florida, Ohio, all over the place at this point. And, uh, you know, I was time, like, we're time gonna, to we're, give back. Get, you right. Give back to the wife. Exactly. Right. Good, and, Colorado, move. and Colorado Springs is beautiful. So I wanted to come here anyways. And I'm looking for a job out here and not necessarily just in the spring, somewhere along the front range. And like, I can't. I can't freaking find one. Or if I do find one, they're like, hey, take our entire level three call like 24 seven or, you know, here's your four month guarantee, you know, like things like that, because it's a competitive market out here. I mean, if you interview any person going into orthopedics, you ask them what they like to do. Like, oh, I like hiking and outdoor activities. Well, here we are in Colorado. They're all out here, you know, doing their hiking and outdoor activities. And we're so, and we're gonna we're gonna laser them all, just so you know, Dan, because Colorado Springs, we're opening an ortho laser there probably in, about, in about three months. So wow, we're, you we're, talk to me more about that. Absolutely, we will offline. But there, we got a lot of hiking and biking, and all those people out there that are enjoying their exercise and getting repetitive use injuries. So we're ready to laser them up yeah. and get them to heal for sure. Yeah, but keep get, going for sure. Get, yeah, this get is, it this out is here, good. man. So, um, so I, that's one thing that's going on. All right. So you know, you put your head down when you're 14 and you say, "I'm going to do orthopedics." And then you kind of just grind away for a while. And by the time you pick your head up, you're like, whoa, this looks, and look, I really like practicing orthopedics, but this is not like the aspect of the medicine aspect of it. It's all the other aspect of it. And I'm like, well, what, you know, what am I doing? Like, I can't even find a job, like where I want to live. And, you know, some guys talking to me from Bangor, Maine, I'm like, I don't want to live in Bangor, Maine. I have no family over there. And so like that is going on and it's kind of this existential crisis, which I think that many docs have at some point in their career. Usually it's later on, but I I think we're starting to see it happen earlier. And for me, it was like in training and that's going on. And I have like a family crisis at the same time. And it comes to this like culmination of like, well, what am I going to do? And like, it just, I just had to do it. I just left my fellowship. Like I broke my lease and I just moved out to Colorado and I moved into my in-laws basement. So, you know, my colleagues are finishing up fellowship, getting, you know, working and getting, you know, contracts for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm in my in-laws basement, just essentially rubbing two sticks together. And it's like, well, what am I going to do? So I know, I know that I can't really go down the street and get a job because of the market here. I know I don't want to live anywhere else. And I had a friend in South Florida in Miami, and he started a house called practice doing internal medicine. And I was talking to him and he doesn't take any insurances. And I'm like, you know, not only is this guy happier than anybody I know, he's also doing better financially. So I'm like, there's something here. I, no one's done it for orthopedics. I don't know what it looks like. And, and that was kind of how it started. I called it easy orthopedics, not because orthopedics is easy. A lot of orthopedic surgeons think, oh, this guy is saying all of orthopedics is easy. That is not what I'm saying. 
it's just I, I removed all the middlemen. So like the practice of medicine is easy. They just call me, make an appointment, and I travel to their house. It's easy. Um, and that's kind of where it started. And I was just three years ago, just figuring things out, like essentially flying by the seat of my pants. Right. So so let, let's back up the bean footage here for a second. So so you're midway through your hand fellowship. Was this also in Toledo at the time? Did you stick around? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Okay. So anyway, you're, you're midway through your hand fellowship. You have this epiphany. You're going to go to Colorado Springs. You're going to support your wife because you're there for her. She's done so much for you. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to your buddy down in Florida. You get the idea. You set up Easy Orthopedics as the name. And you do this in April of 2019. Do I have the dates right? Yep. You're right. Spot on there. I moved oh. there a couple months before to kind of like set up the LLC and order supplies and things, you know? Fantastic. So, so just like I'm in the master bedroom closet, you're in the in-laws basement. You're, you're basically, you've got this idea. You're, you're the consummate entrepreneur, orthopreneur, right? You're going to start a business that no one even has any idea what it's going to be about. And yet you're willing to take the leap of faith to be able to do that. So I find that amazing. So it's now it's April of 2019. And again, you're, you don't have an office, you do house calls, you do not take any insurance. So it's a cash pay business for you. Mm -hmm. And you basically as an orthopedic surgeon set up shop. And how do you tell everybody that you even exist in April of 2019? Gotcha. So so it was a lot to figure out. And the reason why I don't take insurance is because I'll, I'll fail. If I take insurances, I need to hire five people just to help me do that for the most part. And then I'm running a high volume practice and I'm not going to be able to do it as good as everybody else. And so like the the non-insurance model makes it so the overhead is ridiculously low. And the mobile part was because I couldn't really like afford an office or didn't, wouldn't be able to fill it. So um, that's kind of how the mobile part came from. Now the, the irony is I see people at other people's offices like, and how, hey. did that, how does that work? Okay. So, so you lease space from them. I know or? I don't, I don't pay anybody any money for any space. I'm value added when I'm there. So if it's a chiropractor, someone's got shoulder pain, they don't want to send it out because they're worried the patient's never going to come back. I'll go see that person at their office with my bag with has everything in it that I, you would normally need in an office. And I'll take care of, I'll take care of it. I can see your bag right behind you right there. Yeah, that's the bag it. Right there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, it's good. Got, yeah. So, but how did I get the word out? I don't know. Well, I didn't do any uh, advertising. So it was essentially all networking, cold calling, going places, meeting people, a lot of that. And then for just getting myself out of the house and talking to people about what I'm doing. And then gradually as time went on, the business kind of forms and I started to get more traction and figure out what worked and what didn't. So, so let's be specific about this, right? Because you still need, it's nice to have referrals, right? You, you may not be taking insurance, but have, do you have a relationship with primary care doctors that will refer you patients? You can go to their office and see patients while they're there as well for the ease for the patient. Does that work out? Yeah. So uh, since I'm in the world of cash and, and look, insurance is an old concept that's been around health insurance since World War II, you know, where they couldn't increase their wages uh, for people. They put a wage freeze, so they started offering health insurance. So it's been a concept that's been around for forever, but for a lot of people, they're not serviced well by insurance. They either A, don't have insurance, you know, and they may be a small business owner or B, their deductible so sky high, they're afraid to do anything. So these people who are not serviced well by the current system, who uh, I'm actually the most economical option. Um, but yeah, so there are like people who are also in the cash world, like physical therapists, direct primary care doctors, some chiropractors, um, who already exist in that world. And that's where most of my referrals come from. And if I like the person, I'll offer to see pay people at their office. 
as value added. And um, I think for them, it's great because it's like, let's say a direct primary care doctor, this guy's got some knee problem. I don't really know what's going on. Here's the imaging. Okay, I can see them at your office. When are they coming in? Tuesday at three, I'll come at four. And it's sort of that sort of game. And then, you know, one of the offices where I'll go is an imaging center. So if someone needs x-rays or whatever, I can just do it right there. Like, let's say if it's trauma or MRI or CT scan. And the, the nice thing about the world of cash is if I need to order an MRI, it just gets done just immediately. There's nobody fighting it. There's no one. So it, it saves me a lot of headaches. I'm able to spend a lot longer with patients. I mean, it's also built into the model. So you're looking at our, our appointments is what they're normally booked for. And uh, I, I want, you've got a whole list of things, which I want to go over with yeah, you, yeah, sure. you know, uh, which we'll get to, but, but I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, one of the things that I think of for imaging, I mean, if a patient comes to me for knee pain, you know, in order to really give them a complete examination, understanding of what's wrong, I think an x-ray is an integral part of the, of the interaction. So you, you have the ability to get mm-hmm. x-rays or maybe the patient's already had the x-rays and then mm-hmm. you're meeting them at the doctor's office. Uh, I like that. And, and do you arrange, you know, like, do you arrange like some deals through the imaging people to say, look, I'll give you my people here, but it's going to be cash pay. So make it, make it easier on the patient. Yeah. There's a couple private uh, imaging facilities, so they have cash pay rates. So they totally get it. Um, so like, I think an MRI is like 500, some places will be less. And for a patient, even, even, you know, the crazy thing is that you may even have insurance and that's less money than what you would pay if you have a high deductible. So that's all, that's all sorted out. I mean, there, there are mobile imaging, uh, companies and I have used them before, but it turns out most of the time I can kind of just see them at the imaging center, grab an x-ray or, you know, there's ways of, it's a solvable problem. I'll put it that way. All right. All right. So, so I still want to walk this through this. So, yeah. so again, we're April of 2019. You got this great idea, you know, whether it's going to work or not, you have no idea, but you're willing to take the risk and the challenge of, of going for it. I love that. Love that part of the story. But then there happens to be this thing called COVID that comes around in March of 2020. So literally you're not even a full year into this mobile practice that you're doing. Uh, did, I mean, how did that affect what you were doing? Was it telemedicine at that point? Were people letting you come to their house? I mean, that had to have been a little bit of a, of a crushing blow, I would think. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about the business model is ex- it's extremely durable, extremely durable. I think during that time period, my overhead was only $800 a month, right? I don't have any staff. I don't have an office. It's basically mostly malpractice. Now it's about 2000 and my wife works with me too. So that's the other part. My practice is only two people, but during COVID. um, Yeah. I mean, it probably slowed growth. Some, there was a point where all these doctor's offices locked down and I was still mobile. So I, I picked up a lot of referrals in like the month of April. Um, But I kind of just kept, I I kept growing through it. Um, it, It's really hard to say, like, would I be busier now if it didn't happen? Like probably, but it wasn't enough to stop anything out. Like I said, this, this business model is extremely durable. So when times get tough, it's uh, it just kind of lasts. I mean, there's just so many questions that come to mind. Cause you know, yeah, I'm, throw like, them at me, man. I'm, like, I'm like joking around, you know, like I'm sitting in my office just the other day. It took me four calls to do a peer to peer to do an arthroscopic distal clavicle resection on a 25 year old that had osteolysis of his, and it was all documented. The kid had paid for two years. I'm like, why, why am I getting on the phone? And like three, three drop calls that I finally get on. It was a nice guy. He was an orthopedic surgeon. We had a yeah, quick call. Sure. We made it happen, but I'm like, there's none of that for you. You basically, nope. you know, but, but there's also gotta be like, you, you do surgery, right? You still do cases. Yeah. It's like, just not, you know, my, you gotta understand it, it. My, my model is a low overhead, low volume practice. So the surgical volume is low and actually solving that issue was a real pain in the butt. 
and it's still, you know, a work in progress. I do them, but I don't have, I'm not doing everything that I can do only kind of what I have the equipment to do. So it's kind of smaller upper extremity stuff. And that's kind of, you know, so since I'm not operating as much, I got to make sure that the cases are reasonable and more chip shot cases. And um, that's just kind of how I exist right now. But, you know, most of my uh, income is not made through surgery itself. And then, and then what, so again, I mean, you're, you're like one of the rarest birds that we've talked to on the ortho show. I mean, we, we still had a couple of you know, endangered species of having private practice individuals, you know, but they were still, they had an office, they had this, they had that. I mean, like you are solo practitioner. So, you know, you, you have to go away. You got to take a vacation. You're going to go visit the family back in Connecticut. Do you have a relationship with the local orthopedist that'll cover you while you're away? No, not at all. I mean, they have my cell phone number, right? So I give every patient, they get a magnet with my cell phone. So if they have problems, they call me and they really don't call me that much because I spend so much time with them in the exam room that there are literally no questions. It's relationship-based care. But no, if I go away and they call, well, I mean, uh, we'll usually book them from when I get back. And um, I'm not really dealing with, you know, hip fractures and broken femurs and, you know, hip dislocations and true orthopedic emergencies. So, yeah. So you're um, not, you're not taking any call at any of the local hospitals. no. And uh, do you have privileges at like a surgery center? Is that what you do in order to get cases done? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And then a smaller procedure room that I'm now starting to do some really small stuff in. Um, Because remember, this is a lot of this is cash. So you have to make it work for the patient. So if the facility fee is too high, it'll just kill the case, which is definitely is extremely frustrating and has happened before. Um, But no, I don't affiliate with any hospitals. I don't really, you know, they're, they're buying up all the land and buying up all the practices. I don't want to be associated with that. And I don't need to be associated with that. I think you can practice safe and effective orthopedic medicine outside the walls of a hospital for most things, most things. I mean, and, and nowadays, I mean, like there's all these new apps and things on your smartphone. You probably got a little chip reader right on your phone. People can swipe their credit card to be able to pay you directly. You don't have to send them a bill or any of that stuff. Probably all have. I mean, do you take chickens? Do you do, do you take anything in trade? I'm just joking around, but I mean, do you take trade? Have you ever done something like that? Uh, one guy wanted to pay me in gold one time, but I didn't like, uh, you know, I don't know what that's worth and didn't have a scale. So, right. no. <laughs> so, so no Bitcoin either it. then, huh? No, no. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to somebody about it, but um, no, I mean, the family and friends get the rate of, you know, pay me nothing. Later, oh, pay me, yeah, pay exactly. So whatever. All right. So you're definitely out of the basement. I mean, I'm, I, I look I'm in my own basement. You. You're in your own basement. That's awesome. So you bought a house. You're like, you're yeah, doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I moved out of my in-laws basement into my own basement. So, you know, it's a big step up in the world. I mean, you come on, your Jewish mother has to be very worried about you back in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, the whole, the whole motivator behind this whole thing was just, it's, you know, it's one people say like, Oh, it's courageous, but it wasn't really that. It was just desperation. You know, when you're in desperate situation, you start doing st- different things and so yeah of course at first she's like well, why don't you just go get a job somewhere and i'm like nah mom like i want to i gotta do this and then as it's become more successful you know she doesn't really bring that up anymore um, i mean overhead of two thousand dollars a month is just incredible i mean you know so you really don't need to generate that much business to be able to be successful to be able to you know to, to sort of do what you want to do which is fascinating let's uh Let's talk. I mean, you have these six things on your website, which I think are really kind of cool, which I think are probably the foundation of why you're of why you're doing what you're doing and doing it successfully. And so the, the number one thing that you talk about is being personally available, which means that you answer your own cell as well as texts as well. And so you have not found that people take advantage of that. 
it sounds like it's a comfort level for you to be able to do that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, my whole, the basis of the practice, yes, it's mobile. Yes. I don't take insurance, but it's really relationship based. So I think most medicine these days, I think we want to practice relationship-based medicine, but you're not really allowed to because your volume overloaded. So it takes a while to develop a relationship with a patient. Meanwhile, I'm able to develop it on the first appointment. So the, the cell phone number is part of that. And I've only found that of the hundred, you know, the lots of people I've seen, which has got to be in the hundreds of maybe um, one or two that abused it. But, you know, my cell phone shuts off at night and I've had to talk to them and be like, hey, that's not appropriate. But it's usually always psych issues, but that is extremely rare. And um, it's most, I, I really do not get that many calls. Yeah, no, I can say that. Uh, well, good for you. I mean, I, I, I'm i a big fan of the star six, seven, although nowadays with doximity and these other things, they can block your call or blind your call. Patients still love when you call them. I mean, I still enjoy calling my patients and being able to connect to them, but being able to have the reverse, you know, is always concerning, but look, I mean, it's working for you. It's successful. And actually, if you speak to, most concierge medicine doctors, that's what they do. It seems to be that's the standard of care within that practice model. Yeah. Well, like if someone, if, a, if you're a busy practice and a patient wants to ask you a question, like what's the process, right? Like they call the office, they talk to the front desk, the front desk transfers it to the MA and the MA transfers the question to you. Now it's a game of telephone. You respond to the question and the MA maybe calls the patient back. You're still answering the question. It's just, it's just the communicate, but half the time it doesn't even get all the way through. And then the patient's frustrated I mean, a lot of times these questions are just simple. They want someone to explain something. And like I said, I have a lower volume practice and I spend more time. So I just, it's, it's not, I know giving the, the personal number out can be kind of scary, but I just haven't had any issues with it or very rarely I have. So, so number two is you book hour long appointments. And I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm pretty lucky on this one that my nurse practitioner, Kristen's not listening uh, because I think she loves to follow that idea as well as I'm scurrying around the <laughs> office. She's in there showing pictures of Jacob and they're laughing and talking and she loves her patients, which is awesome, you know, but uh, no, just kidding around. But, you know, within that hour appointment, I'm sure you're, you're going through the past medical history. They're filling out their paperwork or whatever that may need to be happening. It's all happening simultaneously. And then you're going through the history physical exam and all of that. And, uh, so an hour long appointment, that's, that's, you know, it's very generous as far as the amount of time for a standard orthopedic condition, but I mean, people, people may have complex issues as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, if you have an appointment where someone has one problem and look, they book for an hour, they don't always go for an hour. Sometimes they'll go shorter. Sometimes they'll go longer. Um, but the one, the one orthopedic issue really doesn't take a long time. It's really that when someone has like multiple four or five problems and that hour allows me to go through all of them. And um, they think they usually appreciate that because in a normal appointment, you could be the best physician in the world, but if you've only got 10 minutes, like you can only do so much. And, and it, you know, it's interesting. I think that patients that, that go through their insurance, that, that know the process of being evaluated with a physician, you know, they expect a certain amount of quality time, right? And, and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be an hour, but if you spend the right quality of time with patients, they can be satisfied. But I would imagine if they're swiping their credit card, it's a different, it's a different vibe. Then you're like, okay, I'm paying for this out of pocket. I really want to make sure that the doctor's listening. I get my quality time. I'm going to get the answers that I want because you, you want people to be thinking positive things about you and you want them to be able to say nice things about you so that your practice grows. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when, when, a, when somebody pays for their own health care, they have a lot more kind of stake in what they're doing 
for it. And I think that's becoming more common. And look, some people that, like I said, small business owners, they don't have insurance. They're thrilled to find me because I've saved them a lot of steps, a lot of heartache, and I actually even cost less money, you know, because they don't know what they're going to pay when they go see the standard ortho doc in town. And that's a problem. But um, yeah, it just depends on the person. It depends on the flow of the appointment. Um, I book them for an hour, like I said, sometimes to go shorter. It's just, you know, but actually it's, it's kind of an efficient use of time in a weird way, because if I answer all their questions and we've explained something that they fully understand it, it ends up costing like, you know, they don't, they don't need to go searching around anymore. It ends up saving them time. So uh, the time is in a weird way, efficient. No, and, and I like that. And then, and then the other thing is that somebody has got to arrange, you know, people need labs, they need x-rays, you may get an MRI and all that stuff, but you don't have staff to do that either. So, so is that part of the appointment or do you do that stuff afterwards outside of the hour or is, how's that all working? Yeah, I usually do it after I write a quick note. And if it's a cash pay, I'm the only one who's probably ever going to see that note ever again, unless they're like primary care provider or sometimes people find me on the internet. Um, and yeah, I just, I just write the referral, bounce over to the imaging center and they say, thanks. And that's it. There's no like other process to the world of cash. It's, it's done. And it doesn't and- take long. If, you know, right. It doesn't take a long way because it's just by cash. You don't have to go through all the, the uh, BS insurance approvals and this, that, and the other. And we'll come, back, come back in five days, Miss Jones, and we'll see if we got the thing approved for you or not. But and then and then I think the, the other message that that I think people must really enjoy is that, you know, you commit to personal follow up. You're you're the one seeing them, you know, for all of their appointments. It's you. It's not anybody else. I think that must be something they like. Yeah. Yeah. It's only me. They appreciate Most people do appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I get with busy practices, you have physician extenders who can be really good, but sometimes if, you know, patient makes an appointment, they got something complicated, they get kind of offended. Even if the PA or MP is really good, that they didn't see the doctor that they found online that they made the appointment with. So. Yeah. It's usually the opposite for me. They're like pissed if they're not seeing my nurse practitioner. Kristen. <laughs> 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 Sounds like one to keep there. Oh uh, yeah. No, she, well, 15 years. So I, I don't think she's, I, I got to make sure she stays with me till retirement for sure. Uh, she knows me better than I know myself, but uh, no, that's, that's all, all fantastic. So, you know, what are the, I'm just thinking out loud. I mean, like, you know, yeah. you know, you're early in, in this thing for orthopedics, but yet with an internal medicine and other areas, pediatrics, you know, concierge medicine has become an established form of treatment for, for a lot of people. Yeah. You, you know, you, you ought to, you ought to develop a class or even perhaps maybe even a business around this where you can sort of develop the protocols and help engage people and maybe even, you know, teach them the process of how you can do this, extend your entrepreneurial spirit. So uh, I do do some consulting for other docs, orthopedic and non-orthopedic who are looking to kind of make the jump. And, and the good thing about this model is it's kind of unique and you kind of mold it to what works for you. But yeah, I've definitely, that kind of started organically um, with people like, hey, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And I used to do it for free. And then I was like, I'm getting too busy. And like, I got worn out by this tech guy from the Bay Area. And I'm like, all right, you got to pay me if you want me to like talk to you a one-way conversation for an hour. So I did start doing that. And I see a lot of docs, both older and strangely enough, also just right out of training who are like, I got to do something differently, you know, because they don't have the option of making it to retirement or selling out, you know, or being able to sell their practice. They don't have anything. So they're like, I can't just work for the hospital for the next 30 years. So you're seeing these existential crises happen uh, early. I think. And, uh, yeah, Healthcare Foundation is unsettled right now, unlike any time that I can recall in my 25 years of clinical practice. I mean, it's just, uh, we just sold our practice to private equity, all those that listen, you know, we're, we were, that was sort of our out to be able to sort of mount up against the challenges that are out there. 
So, you know, look, I, I, on an average day, you know, I'll, it, depending, especially if I've been traveling or whatnot, we could see like 60 to 70 patients in a day. So right. how many, that's a lot. How, yeah. How many patients are you seeing in a day? If I'm busy and things are really rolling, I mean, you're looking at four plus or minus. And that <laughs> is very like, if you, in this model, if you're seeing four to six people a day, like you're really rolling, like you're doing very well, both like personally and financially. And uh, you and you better make sure you're not leasing your vehicle. You got to make sure you own it because you're chewing up some miles out in Colorado. Yeah, well, you know, you write those, you know, you write those miles off, <laughs> <laughs> as well as your home office that you're sitting in right now. I do. Yeah, measure the square footage with a rule. You know, there's a lot of advantages, tax advantages to having your own business. Um, and these are all legitimate, by the way. So yeah, it's not no. like you're trying to hide anything from the IRS here. It's all. No, I, I use an accountant. There's yeah. a problem, you know. Yeah. Don't look at me. No, I hear you, brother. I hear you. So what's so give a piece of advice. We're we're, we're rounding it out here, but I really like this. This is a cool story because it's really so unique. It's the first one. You are the first, Dr. Paul, that has uh, given us this type of a story within concierge or solo practice orthopedic surgery and a cash pay model. But if you're going to give some advice to the people out there that are considering doing this, what, what would it be? So, I mean, it all comes down to autonomy. So the whole goal with this is, you know, once you cut all those things loose that you think are so necessary to care, like insurance companies and hospitals, you will find yourself so free and so happy, and it'll be the best thing you ever did. That being said, there's a lot of things to kind of figure out in any business that you build, you will be poor for a while when you start it. That's just unless you have a big loan or something that you have to work through those tougher times. But it's it, 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 if, if I can make it work, I mean, it, it can work. I have proof of concept here. So if you're looking to convert your practice to cash, you know, let's say you already have a practice, it may not be a bad idea to cut the first, you know, do it little by little. Maybe there's a certain insurance company that's driving you insane, takes up all your man hours and doesn't pay you. Well, why don't you cut that one off first? Let your patients know and see what happens. Then you do it again. And then you do it again. And you kind of gradually, well, then maybe you don't need a bigger office anymore. Maybe you need less staff and you can kind of move towards a more sustainable existence because if you can, get to an existence that's cash based, it's paradoxically stable. And as long as I keep it going, I can do it forever. But you know, some of these with the normal practices, the the reimbursements go down overhead gets up and they become they're becoming very unstable. So the closer you can get to sort of cash revenues, the more stable I think you'll be and I think the happier you'll be. That's, you know, you're preaching to the choir. So I'm going back to ortho laser here, but that's exactly what I did with the very first ortho laser orthopedic laser center. I recognized that this was a cash modality. It did not fit well into this large insurance based, you know, practice with tremendous overhead and all of the, you know, all the things that are necessary to make a practice work. So it's a patient pay model. Patients are happy because they're, they're getting better. It's reasonably affordable. Uh, and obviously they wish that the insurance would pay for it, but there is a place and a lot of people recognize and get that a patient pay or a cash pay model is effective for them. So I can attest to that in the ortho laser space. And we're really happy uh, that we could bring you on, Dan. I really, you know, this is, you know, at the ortho show, it's really amazing. The fascinating people that we've been able to interview from all over the world and everybody has a unique story and yours is incredibly unique. And, you know, I applaud you for, you know, taking having the courage to innovate and to to start something new with sweat equity and, and and do what you need to do and really help your patients and you seem happy. I think you know happy doctor, happy patients. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure having you on, Dan. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund. 
Hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>